Harper and Zeman Fitz at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Under Muscara, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Spotting for three. The place is going to run. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jervis Jones, a game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one. Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos in the sidekick as we are recapping all things ETSU from the weekend and Monday. We'll give a slight preview of some games coming up. We've got Stock Report in the Southern Conference and yes, one last segment in which Mike... will be the last time I beat you though. Fantastic. Great weekend one. That was a good call. I also narrowly missed another one. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt, I'm banking multi-score separations between every NFL game as is predicted. But of course, Mahomes, I'm not sure he's. It was a good weekend. State he is in. That was. It was. Uh, it, it was a good. It was a good Sunday for Michigan quarterbacks, evidently, because Chad Henney willing the Chiefs to a victory on a Herculean effort, and then of course Tommy Brady just being Tommy. Brady. How did I know you'd find a way to make this about one of your teams? Of course. <laughs> Because we've only been doing this for you know, three years, give or take. All right, let's talk what was, because uh, we do have a jam-packed show. Probably need to get to it. ETSU men's basketball. We'll go in chronological order of games. The game at Saturday at Furman. No Ladarius Brewer. Kind of new. Could be a little bit uphill for ETSU. But honestly, you know, I've been doing a lot of games. It's always a building they struggle in, no matter what type of team they have. But to go down a man down, to have a spectacular first half and really be in it to, what, about seven and a half minutes, and then that's when Furman started to go on a run, and then you start to see a little bit of the fatigue where you're missing one of your key guys that averages, you know, 33 minutes a game that's not there and really didn't have a guy to stop the bleeding. But honestly, it was one of the times where you lose and you kind of go, well, you know, we played pretty well. And you can't really say that a lot. And then honestly, that culminated with Mike Bothwell just losing his ever-loving mind in that game career day for him, and he was spectacular, and ETSU had no answer for it. That was my two takeaways. Yeah, you can talk about the depth problem that Furman has, but when they have somebody put up 32, 5, 2, and 1 um, in Mike Bothwell, and then that's not even discussing it. Shutout was no early, which was interesting. I mean, 0 of 8 from the floor, so that kind of evened out Bothwell's performance, but then you got Mounts, and then you got Hunter, and they both go 6 for 9, and so Certainly a team that's going to be tough to contend with when, even if one of your starters is shut out, you still have Bothwell, who puts up 32. I thought this was the type of ETSU game that they want to play pretty much the entire year. Uh, You force the turnovers, and you get points off. Uh, You mentioned it on the broadcast, 16 turnovers forced, and you get 21 points. You're trying to get to that one-to-one ratio usually. You know that you're pretty efficient if you can get there, and the Bucs outperform that. And if you can have, without Ladarius Brewer, five guys in double figures. Uh, I mean, everyone was efficient with their touches. Demari missed more than a couple of shots. But outside of that, everybody was at 50% or above that 
two uh, double figures, including Bonnie Patterson, who had 13 points, four rebounds, a couple of assists. It needs to be a full-team effort when you don't have Ladarius Brewer. We talked about it on Thursday, kind of teased the news that was going to be coming out Friday. The news ended up holding with Ladarius missing that ball game. What was encouraging to me is I'm just going to go ahead and transition to yesterday is that, yes, the Bucks win a game that they're probably more comfortable playing on Saturday with the until the last seven and a half minutes because you're right, it was I think a two-point game and then a 16-6 run for Furman to close it out. Bucks just didn't have the closer, right, in Ladarius Brewer. But when you win a game like that, a game that you this year have been tried and true and winning, and then you're able to come out two days later, short turnaround time, and this is how it's going to be a number of times this year for ETSU because of this now compressed schedule, and you put up 92 points, and you break the school record in threes, and you show that you can win a shootout as well. That is just a really encouraging sign to me. I think the the big thing, too, is Ladarius was able to get kind of going early, and I think that was something on purpose the team tried to do. I think it was something he tried to do. And it is a little bit of a trend. I think since he's been the point guard, if you go look at the first about five minutes of each opening half, he has played lights out. And and I don't. I'm guessing teams don't know how to really, and it'll change. But teams don't really know how to guard him. Do they stick a point guard on him? Do they stick somebody else? Because the problem is. Your two guard is Demario Monsanto, so then do you have to make your point guard guard the three man, Sorrell Smith? So it's very, it's very odd to set up, and I think teams are having trouble figuring out really, particularly how to play it with Ladarius Brewer running the point and what they're going to do. Because if they put a smaller guy on him, we're seeing him be able to go, you know, to pull up and shoot over them. They put anybody else on him, he's been able to drop by him and either pull up or get to the rim. So, But he's gotten off hot starts. You really look at that UNCG game, right? He had 10, 12 quick points early like this one, and then it was the supporting cast came in in the second half. It happened to be Sorrell Smith at UNCG. It was Damari Monsanto um, in this game particularly, picked up some of the scoring. Again, they multi guys were in double figures in, in both those games, so it wasn't just those two guys. But we're starting to see that at least Ladarius Brewer, there's one thing you can count on, is he's going to start the game hot. I'm kind of curious, if he doesn't start the game hot, how the team kind of reacts, or is he going to be able to pick it up late because he's been so great early? You're right. He's just been a tone setter. And with this victory, I want to point out David Sloan as well because you know, he picked up in the second half, I think, where Ladarius, who had 17 first half points, 17 of the Bucks, 39, um, only had six the rest of the game, but wasn't taking bad shots, wasn't forcing it. Um, came up three points short of 1,000. I was bitter about that. So you're going to have the 1,000 points on Wednesday, barring the completely unforeseen. You'll probably get it in the first 30, 40 seconds, it seems like, with the way he's playing off the bat. Uh, David Sloan, 18 points in 18 minutes. And it wasn't just scoring six assists, three rebounds. Me and Bruce Trambarger, analyst on ESPN Plus last night, talked about the conundrum that Jason Shea may find himself in with David Sloan because you know how the season starts. Right, and it wasn't the way you wanted it to. That being said, I think it was kind of overblown the manner in which it did start. I think there are a couple of people, I'm not saying any of the Buck diehards or probably a lot of the people who listen to this show, quite honestly, I don't think they were in this boat, but I think there were some people around the league and the impartial bystanders that were saying, well, rebuilding gear for ETSC. They got no chance. Uh, look at what they did in that first game against Abilene Christian. Couldn't pull out the tight one against Austin P and weren't competitive in the last at least 10 minutes. Um, certainly, look over maybe the whole second half against Alabama. And by the way, it's an Alabama team now that is undefeated. 
the SEC at the top of a Power 5 conference. So uh, not a bad loss by any means. I, I believe the opponents that ETSU has lost to this year going into last night were 49-14 and 14 combined, and there are four league leaders in it. So let's keep in mind the caliber of opponent that we're talking about. But I think a few people said, just not sure. Uh, I think that it's Furman. I think that it's UNCG. Wofford's up there now. But then you have Sloan suspended the one game. And the Bucks blow up, right, 86 points. And that puts kind of more of the pressure on Sloan, but it also puts Jason Shade in an interesting situation because you've got a guy that you were counting on. He's your second-leading scorer. He's your only quote-unquote point guard. Now, like you said, Ladarius is running point, and he can clearly do so very effectively. But your true point guard, only one that you have that is not a freshman. He doesn't want to turn the reins over to a freshman, so he wants to go with the senior. But you can't start him after that, right, because things went so well when he was coming off the bench, and so then you win against UNCG, and then you have the long layoff. And so we were just discussing, as the game kind of wasted away in the final moments, you know, what does Jason Shea do with David Sloan? Well, the answer is simple if he plays like he did last night. I mean, that takes the conundrum completely out of the hands of Shea. It makes it an easy choice. You just have him come off the bench, plays 15 to 20 minutes, and 18-6-3 and three in those 18 minutes, I think pretty solid. Also want to point out with Damari, not only was it 19 points for him and a really solid second-half scoring, but you said this. It came over to me and Bruce, I believe, right before halftime or right as we were going into halftime. He had nine rebounds at the half. That was already a career high, and that was nine of the Bucks, 15 rebounds. One area of the game changed last night. In the second half, the Bucks just crashed the boards, and without Miles Lewis, who's the lead rebounder for BMI, they were hurting in terms of not only rebounding but also depth, and I think you saw the Bucks kind of wear down BMI as the game went along. I think it was similar to what happened to ETSU at Furman not having, and, and again, BMI really rotates six, maybe a seventh guy in there, but for the most part, it's a tight rotation, and you take one of those guys out that was playing over 20 minutes a game, it certainly hurt BMI, similar to it hurting ETSU there. So I think that was a little bit of uphill battle there, not just for fatigue purposes, but certainly on the glass because he was one of the team's leading rebounders. To see Damari take that much pride in going to rebound, though, that you know that's something – you know, that you love to see because it can just make him so much multifaceted, right? Instead of just standing out there and shooting threes, you can go get rebounds. You can get offensive rebound putbacks. I thought the Bucks were better. You heard Coach Shea in the postgame at Furman say they weren't very good when they did get offensive rebounds. They were undecisive. They weren't either kicking. If they don't have a no-dribble shot, then you're supposed to kick the ball out, catch the defense scrambling, get a look. They did that against VMI. So, it was a good teaching moment that at shoot-around they were talking about and showing, hey, here's where we got offensive rebounds at Furman. We didn't score them. Let's try to score it. And they did a much better job of at least getting looks. They didn't hit all those shots, and there were a couple times a little disappointing. They didn't take advantage of it. But still, that was much more efficient with the basketball. And then the second half, just the shooting numbers. Were, and the shooting numbers for both teams were incredible. And former Buccaneer now at uh, I think director of basketball ops at UT Martin sent me a message of Dillion Sneed was like, boy, there's some high-level shooting in the freaking ball right now. <laughs> I mean, I was like, and this was midway through the first half, and he checked back in the second half and said, yep, still shooting. <laughs> I said, it was incredible to see. And some of VMI, you know, it, it's interesting because they don't strike you as a team that isn't going to play a lot of defense, but it seems like that they are not interested. It was which is odd. Night, yeah. Very odd when they – because normally – you know, in years past, I know they've, they've transitioned to shooting more threes last year and this year. If you just look at the number of attempts that went up, it was like 150 or 
200 more attempts, I think, last year than the previous year before that. So they've made a conscious effort into trying to get more points in. The other thing I think they've done a better job of is spreading around. Remember, they would always have, like, Bubba Parham or, or somebody else that would take, like, 30, 50, you know, 50 or something stupid shots. And then nobody else would get a chance to score. They've done a better job last year and this year of getting more guys involved, and it's made them dangerous because, it, obviously, if you get four or five guys that can try to score, like Furman, like VMI, it's it's hard to contain because who knows what's going to happen. I mean, you already look at the game that, that Greg Parham's had. He's got six 20-point games. He's had a 33-point game. Jack Stevens has had four games over 20 points. Kerfman's had three games over 20 points. You know, Miles Lewis has had a game of 20 points off the bench as well. So when you got that many guys that can throw a 20 spot on the board, I mean, I think it makes good. The, the interesting part is they always would play defense, and they haven't, you know, this year. Because even last year I felt like they played somewhat of a defense as opposed to watching. And I thought maybe the Citadel game was a little bit of a, you know, got lulled in the Citadel's type game. But then, you know, watching a little bit of the Chattanooga game, there wasn't a whole lot of defense in that one either. So it's just interesting how they've kind of turned the corner in that regard. I thought the shot distribution was interesting, and I wasn't expecting this kind of game from Sean Conway. You mentioned that there's a lot of guys that can put up 20. He was coming off a career-high 25, and Jake Stevens had 33 that same game. And it seemed like Conway, sophomore, right, coming off career-high, was mega-confident, and as it proved to be a little bit overconfident. He thought that Monday was going to be like Saturday was. He, he felt like he was still hot, and he had a number of contested pull-up threes that I – kind of scratched my head at it. It kind of reminded me of Mason Faulkner in the first half for Western Carolina at Freedom Hall where he, early in the shot clock, maybe had a little bit of space, but others were contested. Like, that's a killer, especially in a high-scoring game because if you're coming up empty on possessions, and now you look at the percentages, and yes, there's going to be possessions where you're going to come up empty, right? I'm not saying everyone's going to score in every single possession, but if you have one guy like a Sean Conway go one of eight, and take just bad momentum-killing shots, that is a big shift in momentum when it's a race to 90, as it was last night. And so they do have a lot of different guys that can go for 20. Um, I think Parham's now got four straight games where he's got 25-plus. I mean, in that first half, (laughs) no balls were touching the net. Or, excuse me, the rim. I mean, it was just dead center, straight on. And I was watching him, and I think this guy can't be this good. And so they slowed down a little bit in the second half, shooting the basketball. But Conway just has to be smarter. Mason Faulkner needed to be smarter in the conference opener against ETSU at Freedom Hall because you've got a lot of scorers on your team. And we can try to kind of use this to transition to Western Carolina tomorrow because one of the things that Western can't get caught up in is Mason Faulkner basketball. They can't have the same thing that happened December 30th at Freedom Hall happen tomorrow down in Cullowee because you've got Cameron Gibson back. And he played just seven minutes in that first game that he was back. I think it was against Chattanooga uh, on, uh, on Saturday. I can't remember who they played. Uh, Mercer. In that game against Mercer where they lost by two, he came back, played only seven minutes. And so you're wondering, was he going to be on maybe an extended minutes limit for a little bit of time? As it turned out, he played 22 minutes yesterday versus Sanford. You've got Gibson, Hightower, Halverson, Faulkner, and Cork. And all of those guys can fill it up. And the ones that are doing their jobs are Halverson, Cork, and really Hightower right now. And Faulkner, not to say he's not putting up numbers, but you have to be sure if you're Mason Faulkner that you do not fall into with the guys around you those bad habits of this is my game, this is my team, I'm taking the shots. 
Yeah, I'm going to look it up between now. I'm going to talk about it in the pregame show. It's going to be one of the things I'll talk about. I'm going to go back and look at the number of shots that Faulkner took last year because I think with what they've done with the roster, and I think it's been spectacular because, A, they get Gibson back, and now he hasn't been taking those shots, right? But then when they got uh, Hightower, Corey Hightower, eligible, he boy, he can play his numbers. He's like a walking double-double machine. But then you look at, I'm kind of curious because I'm thinking, Faulkner's thinking, I come back, you know, we don't have the big fellow to feed down low in Dotson. I'm going to be able to get a few few extra shots. The only reason I say this is because his body language, and I don't know Mason Faulkner, but I've never had, you know, I've had conversation with Dotson and some other guys on that team. Never had a conversation with Faulkner. But he just mopes, and they're in games, and they're winning, and you look at him, and he's looking up at the scoreboard, and it's just, there's some body language there that, he just seems unhappy, and I can't I can't figure out is it just point and shot envy, or or what it is because he was doing that when they were seven and two and winning games, you know. And I thought, well, maybe I've just picked a few you know late overtime game type things. But then watching them in the dome firsthand, you know, same thing. You know, when when the game got you know first half he's kind of go lucky. Second half when he'd only had about five shots at that point in time, all of a sudden. You know, him looked like he wasn't real happy. Had a couple fouls, then the complaining of the refs. It was just, it, it was interesting, and I don't know. It, it, it seemed to be different from his demeanor from a year ago. He's on pace to take 50 less shots than last year, 405 last year. So if he, he's at 10 games right now, 118 times 3, 354, so about 50 less. Okay, so here's where I'll go with that then. I think because he thought he was getting more shots this year. I, how, how many shots did Dotson take last year, if you, if, if you can quickly get to that? Because I'm thinking he's thinking there there's a lot of shots there I'm going to be able to take. 295 and then Otto Steger took 287. They're both gone. I, I'm just thinking he was looking at taking more shots. He was looking to – he did the NBA draft thing. I'm curious what they told him because he was a little bit of a triple-double. Was it work on this? Was it score more of this? Was it do this? I don't know. I don't know what the NBA told him. But whatever it is, I think it had to deal with scoring because everything that he's been doing tells you it's about scoring. And so I don't know that they particularly share everything. Like, I don't know that Isaiah Miller, they announced what the NBA said he had to work on. So for Faulkner, and this is something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but just to revisit it, I think it was before the Catamounts came to ETSU on that December 30th game, be more efficient attacking the rim off the dribble, work on your defense, develop your left hand. Remember Isaiah Miller it was. You just got to shoot, shoot. The ball better. Mid-range jumper. You don't shoot threes, just a mid-range jumper. And you're seeing Isaiah Miller take more mid-range jumpers early in the game. Late in the game, he goes back to what he knows, get to the rim, score. I think sometimes you get some of that, and this is just me talking. I don't know anybody at West Carolina has told me anything, but it looks to me like he was expecting to be able to get more shots to showcase himself not the team, and I think he is costing Western Carolina some wins because everybody else that I see on that court and what I've seen so far, and I haven't seen Gibson this year, but I know what he's done in years past, but Hightower's really fighting. Halverson's really fighting. You know, Cork, I think, does a great job when he's in there trying to fight. Uh, even Tyler Harris is doing things to try to win games. McCray, McMahon, all those guys I think are fighting. To me, when Faulkner gets corrected, and mentally more than actually playing the game, then I think Western Carolina has a chance to really turn things around and beat some teams in this league. 
But as long as he is being kind of the way he is, and it looks to me being selfish, then I think it's going to be hard for Western Carolina to win games. And Mason Faulkner is a great player, and there is no question about it. There is the possibility that, you know, one, one other person in this league went and tested for Atwater's right, Isaiah Miller, and so there is a possibility. He looks at Isaiah Miller and says, well, look, I mean, I'm not going to get drafted if I'm not even the best player in my own conference, a mid-major conference, and sees what Isaiah Miller's doing. He took 25 shots last night. Isaiah Miller did drop him 30 against uh, Citadel when UNCG won 25 shots. Mason Faulkner hasn't taken more than 16 this year, and he's only taken above 13 once. So there could be some of that because, quite honestly, and I, I applaud him for not so far um, getting that, you know, for the most part, hero ball mentality, for the most part, right? He kind of did it against ETSU. It cost him. But he's not taking 20, 20 shots, 25 shots, because he does need to take less shots this year, I think, because I think this team is better than the one that – Western Carolina had last year. I, I think he would be more of a threat to be a triple-double machine yes. because he doesn't have to worry about scoring, and you could pass two guys who can score. So I think his numbers in the the triple-double category should be going up, and I don't know that he's really threatened it. Uh, I mean, I'm just kind of flipping through, and, yeah, he, he kind of averaged about 15, 16 shots, 13, 14, 15, 16. He, has, uh, he only had one. Yeah, we got hurt in Nashville. He had five shots. I'm looking at last year's. You know, but if you look across there, 17, 11, 17, 9, 16, 17, 13, 11, 15, 15. So, I mean, you know, then you look at this year's stat line. Hasn't really come close in terms of a triple-double. They'd have 15, 6, and 7 against Asheville. You know, uh, I, I, I kind of feel like he's the guy. 13, I, 9, and 5. I think whenever – I mean, because you look at some of the, the talent. I want to make sure I'm on the right stat this year. Hold on, I'm going to flip back. But you look at this year's talent, right? And we, we've already talked about Faulkner. Clearly, he's the best NBA-ready guy if there was a guy on the team as far um, as they go. And then you look at Halverson. He's averaging 15. Quartz averaging 15. 69% from the field. Hightower's 14. He's almost averaging a double-double. 14 and 8. Then McCray's averaging 9. And Harris is in there at 8.3. Gibson's getting his feet wet. He's got 6 points. I mean, they've got a ton of people that I could look at right now and go, yes, he can score. Yes, I don't have any question marks about if any of those guys can score. Harris is a little bit more of an energy guy that has to feed off, you know, has to be really set up. I know he's hit 12 threes, but, I mean, he's not particularly efficient either way. And he's the last guy option if you look at the options. But if he's your last option, if he's on ETSU's team, you're going, that's a heck of an option. I mean, he's a pretty good option. So this is a, a team that can score, can be dangerous. They don't particularly play a lot of defense either. That seems to be a theme around the Southern Conference. Unless your name is UNCG, your name is Wofford, I'll even give Furman and ETSU that. I don't know anybody else plays defense. And who are the teams at the top of the conference? Well, there you go. I mean, I mean brilliant. I, Western is, the, is a weird team because I feel like they really should be who they were earlier in the year. And, yes, they did have some wins against teams that aren't, quote-unquote, marquee. But if you want to go by the net rankings – Right, Western Carolina is the next team below ETSU, and they're only about where was that? They're about well, they're about 30 spots behind. But 152 to 186 is, isn't egregious behind. So I, I just feel like I mean Western has more quad three wins. ETSU hadn't even played a quad three game. So I think Western Carolina this is a dangerous game. Number one, they want to really get ETSU like that. That's sort of a, a bigger monkey on their back than anybody. They have knocked off UNCG in the past three or four years. They've beaten Chattanooga. They've beaten Mercer. They've beaten the, I don't, um, 
couple years. Was it last year they beat Furman or Wofford? They got one of them last year. I feel like the one team that this group of seniors hasn't been able to beat at least once is ETSU. And Wednesday afternoon, if ETSU isn't ready because of Western can score and all these other things, I think it's a dangerous game for Buck fans because all they're looking at is we got four straight. You, you're a Buck fan, and if you're a true Buck fan, you've already chalked it up as a win because you just go with 28 to 29, right? Or 29 to 30 now, 28 to 29, whatever it is. You chalk it up as a win because that's what you do. Death taxes, you beat Western. But in the same token, for the players, if they don't go out there, and luckily when I asked those guys after the game, did they know the stat? Of course, they were like, no, nah, I had no idea. You know, because they weren't around. They don't have a clue. So for fans, I get it. You chalk up that win, and you get four straight home games, and you're trying to rattle as much as you can because the road is much tougher the back half of the season because you're on the road more. But in the same token, Mike, this scares me because if Mason Faulkner just shows up and decides he's going to be not about Mason Faulkner today, then I think that changes the dynamic of Western tremendously and makes them dangerous. If he's like 13 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, Bucks might be in trouble. If he's 5 of 15 from the floor, 16 points, 4 rebounds, 5 assists, I'm not worried. And I know those sound like little things, but it's to say that is he being efficient with his touches? Is he getting his teammates involved? Is he doing the other things that Western needs him to do? Is he listening to the scouts? Is he playing some defense, working on that? Is he doing the things that the team needs him to do? And quite honestly, in the long run, he'll need himself to do to go and play professional basketball. So if you get the four for 11 from the floor, three of nine from three, three rebounds, two assists, and 13 minutes of action. Great for a lot of other players, not for someone of his caliber. He needs to be that 13 points, and then those other categories. Four, four, I mean, he has as many turnovers as field goals made. Four. Two things, and then we'll talk more men's basketball and SoCon Stock Report. It's going to get loaded in SoCon Stock Report. It isn't a surprise that the teams that play defense are at the top of this conference, right? And you look at the other teams, and, and it's sexy, right? It's hot to look at Citadel and VMI and these teams that put up big numbers offensively, Western Carolina, and say, gosh, and I'm going to give you props in the SoCon Stock Report on Citadel. It seems like you saw it coming. Gosh, these teams need some more love. Why are they not getting the attention? Why are they not now winning? Why are those results from the non-conference not following? Because it's a two-sided game. You can't just play 47 feet of the court. You can't just play on the offensive end. you got to play on the defensive end, too. The teams that do that, Furman, ETSU, uh, you mentioned it. I mean, the teams that are at the top of the league, Wofford, UNCG. UNCG, time and again, has based their success around the defensive end, and it works. Travion McRae, you talked about earlier there, Ross went down the stat sheet. Travion McRae is the one that has kind of fallen out of favor with Cameron Gibson returning. He's only played 10 and 11 minutes in these last two games. He hasn't scored a point. He's a pretty solid player. And the minutes for him are going to dwindle. He's probably not going to play a lot at all here. He's the one guy that has played defense, which is crazy. And so you take him out, and you're down on that end even more. I just wonder with Gibson coming back, and it's really no fault of his own, right? I mean, you can only come back when you're cleared. And Western Carolina, I think they've only played like four games in the last you know, month or something like that. Like, you haven't had time to reacclimate, and now you're thrown right into the heart of conference play. I just wonder with somebody returning like that, somebody that is going to demand touches, right, because he deserves them because he's a very solid player, and you're mixing up the lineup as you have to with this team, I just wonder if it's too late in the game for Western to be able to find the combinations that work and for their roster to gel in the way it needs to to be successful in this season. Well, it, you know, the only thing is where ETSU has played one more conference game than Furman, and those two teams, uh, I think, have played 
the least or tied for Western's tied for the least amount of league games played. So they're going to be fast and furious. You know, they played Monday like ETSU did against Sanford. And then they're going to play their first league home game, right? All three, yes, first league home game of the season. So all three of their, their roads. Late January. Right. You know, they, they played, obviously, ETSU right before New Year's. Then they didn't play for two weeks. Their January 13th game was their first home game when the uh, New Year was canceled, again, COVID-related. And so then they went on the road at Mercer at Sanford. Now they finally get their first home game. So think about that, too. They're 0-3, but they're 0-3 on the road. So get a play in the Ramsey Center against ETSU. Then they rattle off at Wofford at VMI. So, again, five of the first six are on the road. Then they get all these slew of home games coming. And so we'll see. I wouldn't – where I was, let's let's pump the brakes on Citadel. I'm going to say the same thing. We get soccer port. Let's pump the brakes on Western here. You're absolutely right. And they could very well be 2-1. I mean, the last two losses have been by, what, six to five points. And like you said, I mean, you got a lot of games on the road. Haven't had a lot of time to jump. Once you get to February – talk about all these critiques we're gonna do with every team right we critique every team because that's just what you do in sports and you look at the weaknesses but bringing it back i would still say at the end of the year if you look at the standings western carolina is going to be four five six and they're going to be right around 500 even though they've lost their first three uh, i still think with their talent they will find a way to get there because they are just too loaded certainly in their top five but then you've got like you said harris and mccray and some others that can play I just think there's no way that they don't make a little bit of a run here. The Bucs can only hope it doesn't start against them. Well, we'll go over that in stock report. And, of course, that's a afternoon game, right? That's a matinee, 4 o'clock. Matter of fact, I probably need to, need to email the radio. So I do, too. I can get home on a Wednesday night fairly early. So that is a 4 o'clock tip time, 3.30 pregame show here on the Buccaneer Sports. Now we're going to talk women's hoops. They played the uh, two-game series down in Spartanburg against Wofford Terriers. We'll talk about that after this timeout. Santa Sidekick Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Santos and the sidekick back with you. We transitioned from the men to the women's team. And, boy, what a difference of two games that was. And, honestly, I thought that was encouraging because after the first loss Thursday, it would have been very easy, I think, for the women to not make quick adjustments, not do whatever. But this is what I, it's going to be interesting to me, these two-game sets. And, clearly, when we get to bold predictions, my uh, – Everyone with tightened clamps defensively from game one to two was, I don't know if they may have scored double what I said they would not score. Like, it's like a 150-point swing from what I was predicting. I didn't so add it up, but considering it was, it was, it was ugly. for the two teams. Oh, it was ugly. For a couple games, it was ugly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. um, I think I would have needed the last game Sunday to only combine the score, like 30, 38 points. Yeah. I think it was 38 total, and then, of course, they didn't. And, all right, it was bad. So, but you look at the two games, and, and clearly Wofford was lighting it up from the outside. But in the same token, it was one of those situations where I think it was an easy sell 
But Coach Ezell say, let's look at statistically where they are on the season. That is not them. They can't continue to do that. It's not a situation that they're going to be able to shoot the lights out. And then they come back and, and just hit the eight threes. And, but ETSU flips the script, right? And then they start knocking down shots. They hit ten threes. Elise Stafford, um, you know, wakes up. She's got 17 points. Dowdell had 20. Carlo, Carly Hooks had 10. And it was a situation where the third quarter really wasn't the nemesis for, for ETSU. It was actually the start of the fourth quarter that got them. But, boy, that was just the points off turn. I mean, everything you look at game one, I'm really impressed that in a two-game series, and maybe this is where these two-game series will be great because you don't have to sit, prepare for a new team, maybe have a bad taste in your mouth of how game one went. You get a turnaround play again. It's everything's fresh. You know what's happening. I'll be interested to see how this season plays out in women's basketball. But, boy, I was so ecstatic for Lee Stafford to come out and hit some shots. Yeah, she had a big first half, 14 points. Only had three the rest of the game, but she helped ETSU build that big lead. 40 points is the most that they've scored in a half the entire year on that Saturday game. But, you know, Wofford, you talked about it. I mean, it didn't seem like they were going to be able to do what they did again you know, after that Thursday game where everybody was – over the top, just doing things that I don't even think they could have imagined coming into the game. Saturday, they still got some of those, and it ended up being a double overtime loss for ETSU, 79-78. I thought the Amaya Adams look right at the buzzer was a tough one, no doubt, but one I'm sure that if she, you gave her that shot again, she'd probably make it you know, at least three or four times out of ten. Uh, at least Stafford had the, had the look at the three. I'm glad she got a shot in that final possession in double overtime because she earned it with how she played in that first half and just hit off the front rim. And the Bucks were right there on Saturday, and this league continues to make no sense to me. <laughs> you have the 26-point loss, and then you come back, and by all means, um, very easily could have gotten that victory against Wofford. If it wasn't for a couple of big shots, Lily Hatton missed a wide-open 16-footer on the baseline right at the end of regulation and then hit two big shots in overtime, one in the first overtime, one in the second overtime. Um, the one in the second overtime proving to be the game winner. I think she hit was about, uh, it felt like it was maybe 16 seconds left, something like that, um, without going back and looking. But then ETSU has a couple chances in the final possession, couldn't get it. There were so many differences Saturday. I thought the big one was the fact that you weren't crushed in the boards. I think it was 48 to 27 on Thursday. Yeah, plus uh, 21, 21, yeah. Uh, and you're only minus three. And they, and they led in rebounding, I think, until the second overtime. I think ETSU was up on the uh, numbers. That was one of the things I kind of talked about was I thought it was simple. ETSU hits more field goals and more rebounds. It was an automatic win. Of course, I didn't think about the disparity in the free throw numbers that, that can come into play. But still, they were up. I, I was watching that stat. I don't think Wofford took advantage of the rebounding until it got to the fourth and then it was like a 6-2 or something like that in the fourth quarter. Or a double overtime, I'm sorry, advantage. Yeah, Rob Fessler strikes again. Oh, your boy Robbie. I was crushing him the entire game. Uh, 12 fouls called on Wofford. And You're unconcerned about a SOCON fight. ETSU. No, not worried about it. Um, they can come and take the very little money that I make, and I will continue to destroy Rob Fessler on the broadcast. Uh, him and Ryan Freeman just wanted to call absolutely everything uh, on ETSU. I, I thought it was incredible to see the disparity. And even... 
even last night for the UTSU men, you, know, you look at that first half, and I think VMI had like two fouls called against them the entire half. Yes, and it was eight, <laughs> eight for ten. I, I did call it, though. There were, I said, that's going to autocorrect a little bit here early second half, and it was about five or six quick whistles on VMI. Not, it, it, it's, it's always interesting to me how that works. It's like they go to the locker room, they bring the stat sheet to the referees, too, and somebody always, I'm sure, looks and goes, boy, say two. If we're going to get out of here alive, we've got to. Got to make sure somebody gets some call. I don't know, but but ETSU got double on free throws too, and you can't discount those those freebies and those opportunities. Especially, I think it was in, towards the end of regulation and towards the end of the first overtime. That's really what got Wofford kind of back in and after ETSU would get about a four or five point lead there. Yeah, no question. I think it was the most important thing coming out of these last two games for ETSU women's basketball is you had the blowout on Thursday, right? And so you, you have to sit there with that for about thirty six hours before you go and play again in the same location. You can't go anywhere and do anything because of COVID, and so you're kind of locked up in your room, right? You get to go to the gym. You get to come back, be in your room. All that can do is sit and fester. At the very least, what this showed, and yes, it was a loss, but again, a game that, you know, flip a coin. It showed Brittany Azell, it showed ETSU fans that the women are not just going to mail it in, not just going to give up because things are going bad. And women's basketball teams under Brittany Azell have not done that. Um, last couple of years have been difficult, there's no question, but it's important for that Saturday result to be what it was, a close game, double overtime. You don't get the win, but you're competitive, you're in it, you very well could have because you have four winnable games coming up, you know, UNCG and Western Carolina. UNCG, and we're going to talk more about this on Friday. I've got a call scheduled with Coach Patterson to talk about you know, her thoughts on what has gone on with the team because not only do they lose a bunch, in terms of graduation, then Aja Boyd gets hurt and Pernilla Sorensen gets hurt, and they're putting up like 42 points a game in conference play. I mean, they, they just can't score. They just don't have the talent. They're, the roster is ravaged by injury and graduations from last year. And then Western Carolina, a team that you beat, and I think it's 13 times in a row now, right? So very well going into the second half of conference play, it could be 4-3 and three because my guess is, unless UNCG and Western Carolina do what Wofford did, and I'll go ahead and give you the numbers here because I made sure to write them down because they were absurd. The Terriers were shooting just 35% from the field going into the weekend, 24% from deep. They made 20 threes and shot 43% between the two games. Nia Lutz had eight threes going into the weekend on 36 attempts, made seven just in those two games against the Bucs. Tori McDavid had taken one three, made one three, made her second three of the year, the only one that she took over the weekend. It was Saturday, so every point counts, right? Lauren Cook, 16 points on the season entering the weekend, had eight Thursday. Jackie Carmen was shooting 25% from the field, 17% from deep. Ties and then resets her season high in points with 14 and 17 behind five threes. Aaliyah Harris had 15 points all season, scored 11 Thursday. It goes on and on and on. And we should keep in mind, we warned ETS women's basketball fans about Jackie Carmen. Right, we told on Thursday, I think it was, fans about how she was her freshman year, had struggled this year. When is she going to start to find it? And unfortunately, this was the weekend that she did. But unless you have UNCG and Western Carolina do something similar to what Wofford did, and I just don't know if they have the firepower to, even if on their best day, you're looking at three or four wins and this season being completely reborn. So important to see that Saturday bounce back effort and fans can roll their eyes and say, well, bounce back, they didn't win. Yes, but going from losing by 26 and complete washout to what they were is massive progress. Yeah, if you lose by 26 and then it got worse, right? Correct. You got, you got A, you have some issues, and B, uh, can you recover from that? I think the next two weeks, very important because I think ETSU at home can go 4-0. 
UNCG the first two, then Western Carolina the next two, and then you finish the first round slate, if you will. I know it's not traditional, but there's 14 games, at least a halfway point. You're four and three. You've still got Mercer, Furman, Sanford, and Chad. Tough finish, no doubt. But at the same token, if you want to get in that conversation, because right now, yes, Sanford is three and zero. Yes, Wofford's three and zero. But Sanford has beaten what Mercer and UNCG, right, or Western? Western. So you look. They've got some tough tests coming up too. I think, again, there's no clear cut because I thought Chat was a clear cut. They get beat by Furman, so they're just 2-1. and one. Furman sits there. One. I mean, I think if ETSU is going to make a run and can still make a run because, again, I'm not sold on, on anybody other than I thought Mercer and Chat, but both those teams sit 2-1, and one, and two teams I was not sold at sit 3-0. and oh, So we'll see what I know. Maybe we'll talk about it um, you know, in the next couple of weeks leading up to it. But I think if ETSU wants to make a run, you know, they need to get – three of the four or all four of those games at home. And then, you know, then I think you can get things kind of kind of steamrolling, and we'll see what happens from there. One final thing on those Wofford games. I thought the big difference was Coach Zell chose to go press in that second game, and Wofford really, really struggled with it. So keep an eye on that going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that ETSU employs even more. And, and you can do it this year, right? You couldn't press last year because at times you had six, seven healthy bodies, right? And, and if you were getting past that, you were going into kind of the obscure in terms of your minute split, right? You, you'd get to uh, players that, that just didn't play a lot and, and were at a point in their career. I'm, I'm talking essentially Jada Craig, you know, Ariel Harvey. I mean, Ariel Harvey was coming off having a baby, right, like four months earlier. Jada Craig, I'm not sure that she has any cartilage left in either knee at all. Bless her, she's a warrior. <laughs> she left it all out there for ETSU. But you can only play those players so many minutes, and if you did more than that, then you were, A, risking their health, and, B, uh, you are really putting your team in jeopardy as well. So this year you've got the depth. This year you can go, you know, two or three-minute shifts out there if you want, if you're going to put on full-court press all the time. And I'm sure it won't be all the time, but if you're going to do more what you did against Wofford on Saturday than you did Thursday, Put those teams in uncomfortable situations. UNCG is not a calm, composed team. Western Carolina has a lot of inexperience. These are teams that, if you make 94 feet tough, they will cough the ball up. And so that's something I think that moving forward could be a real asset. For well, and I think depth, ETSU, uh, Coach Ezo runs a deeper rotation of most teams in the league as well. And so, and again, just like I say about the men, I feel like most years ETSU women's basketball team is one of the top two or three athletic teams in the league normally and so getting up and down kind of fits their pace helter skelter i i think etsu plays better a, a little bit sometimes helter skelter than they can in some sets right well they forced 22 turnovers and the, yeah, what was the points off there like 30 yeah off. yeah that's how we talk about men you get a point per turnover that is more than good that is that is i don't want to say great but that is really really good and a standard for what you want to do. So if you can get over that, man, that is tremendous. You can get eight points over that. That shows you what it is. So if they can continue to do that, then I think ETSU, and I, like you said, I, I think this, you know, it's got to start one game at a time. It starts with UNCG on Friday, but I feel like the next four games, ETSU can get sort of healthy, can figure some things out, can get some people, and then get rolling for the back half of the season. We'll preview UNCG on Friday. Talk about women's basketball. All right, more women's basketball Friday. We'll step aside for a timeout. Stand up, side kick. Go to the Buccaneers. Sports Network. Three, two, one, happy new day! Now you can-
can enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sandoz and the sidekick. We have a mission. Strap it on, here we go. Sorry, what? Jeff Goodman said. How great was I? Last week. Okay. I think it was Wednesday. The day after you scoffed at him? Mercilessly tore apart Citadel and said that. And then defended him like two days later. <laughs> they had reached their pinnacle and it was nothing but downhill from here. Well, Jeff Goodman then tweets that if there's one team around the country that you need to pay more attention to and give more love to, it is Citadel. 300 and I think 40 teams are playing right now in the country. 340. And he picked out the Bulldogs. Tucker Bauckham's Bulldogs, and they promptly lost three straight, including last night to UNCG. Their stock plummeting. I I will say, for the story of Citadel to be undefeated, yes, it got helped because they didn't play for a while, so it was, they were undefeated going into January, because I don't think they would have been. So for a national, like, feel good, they've never done anything good, never been in the tournament, all this other stuff, okay, I get it. But calm down, Jeff Goodman, because that clearly was not, and it also, again, defended them because they had that crazy stat where they were not predicted to win another game the rest of the year, and then they were like 15-point underdogs. Yeah. to. Front. So I thought, I mean, I went. Were they 7-point underdogs to VMI this weekend? Uh, I think I saw 5 or 7 or something. Yeah, it was. Which it, was insanity to me. But well, it ended up we, proving to be correct. Right, it ended up being right on it. So, again, the wise guys know more than we do. Right. So, But I, I just didn't see Citadel being able to keep that. I felt like it was going to catch up with them, especially teams that know how to play and play against them. So I still think Citadel is going to be the bottom of the league when it's all set. They're going to go from, like, undefeated to defeated. And Jeff Goodman is probably the most knowledgeable college basketball guy around, definitely top three in terms of the national scene. He's a former guest of the show, good friend of Steve Forbes. Yeah, like he, he does his research. He knows his stuff. But I think where you get into some trouble is, you know, when you're asked a question like that, you can only know so much as a national reporter and – the SOCON is not something, granted, it's like top ten for like, what, two or three consecutive years now in terms of conference RPI, so it's right it's there. It's still a feel-good, for, for, for all that Citadel has not been, to get that, and let me say this for Citadel, to get the recognition that they got for as long as they did, that's great for their program. They've always been talked about as football and baseball. I mean, baseball made a college. I mean, I think everybody knows this in the College World Series. They've won a game in a College World Series. There's no other Southern Conference team that's ever done that. So they've got recognition there. They've won national championships in football. They've got basketball. They've never once, history of the school, been playing a long time, been to an NCAA tournament. They've been to a CIT. That is their only postseason tournament in the history of the school. So I think it was worthy to get some love. I just need everybody to pump the brakes a little bit. Your point is good because, yes, the wise guys may know more than that, that, more than us, more than anyone, it seems like, about how these games are going to go. But Jeff Goodman, my point on him, you can know so much, and you can have 
and be in tune with power fives to perfection and all the big college basketball. But you get down to, you know, even the ninth or tenth league in the you, country, you're just not going to know the ins and outs. E- even so, I still don't know that he knows enough about the 16th team in the Big Ten. I, I, I mean, like, there's, there is only – like, he knows more over – if you ask him more questions about college basketball, he is going to answer – more questions than maybe one or two guys, as you stated, right? Overall, if you say, what about this, what about that? And you could ask him some of the comments questions, and for the most part, he's going to get a lot of stuff right or know enough about it, you know, but you're right. He's not going to know everything about it, and he's not going to deep dive in 380-some teams' schedules and everything. Right. Like, we have to give him credit, too, because, you know, A, he got the league out there. And he yeah. knows the league is good. And so let's say for that sake, that was unbelievable. And I'm not really faulting Goodman because I think his intentions were he knows the history of Citadel. He knows that this has never been a program that has been able to do anything. I mean, for all things that people take shots at VMI, people forget that was an elite eight team in the late 70s. I mean, that's really not that long ago um, in the scheme of the world. But they were an elite eight team. And so you look at some of these others, but for Citadel to get – that going and for Duggar Balkum and to be a little bit of a feel good I think it was great I just thought okay if we're just doing it to like hey this is a feel good story let's go this is a team you need to talk about and if John if Goodman is only saying hey we just want to get the word out that you guys need to actually look at Citadel because this is heights you've never been before may not ever be I'm all for that. If it was, and that's what I think he was doing. If it was a legitimate, like, this is going to be the (laughs) greatest upset, you know, yes, I don't think he was doing that. I think he was, hey, here's, I know the history of Southern Conference. I know the history of this. This is something unique that's never happened. Let's take the time to give that love, as opposed to some other blue blood. It's like all this pay attention to Kansas or Minnesota. Otherwise, you talk about me. You talk about me bringing up stuff. Look at that. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for that. I've been waiting for that. All right, let's talk about my boy. Uh, Neftali Alvarez is back for Mercer. He's playing their last two games against Chattanooga. Ten points on five of ten from the field against Western Carolina. Twenty-four points, a season high. The redshirt sophomore and leads. The Bears to a victory over Western Carolina. Does this instantly, because you were extremely high on Mercer, like I was extremely high on Mercer, like lots of people were extremely high on Mercer, especially after their non-conference, does this immediately vault them back into the conference conversation? I don't think so. Wow. I think I think you're down on them now. No, I can't no, keep track I, with you. I just, I just, because the league is a little topsy turvy. Already having three losses, I think it's just going to be tough. Um, because I think they're going to pick up three or four. They'll pick up three more. I, I, I just think they will. And, yes, I think 12-6 and six still has a shot at the league, but somebody's going to stop knocking off Furman. You know, Wofford's still got one loss. ETSU's one. You know, UNCG's got to play a couple of those teams. They're at two losses. I think VMI and Chat and – VMI, Chat, Western, and Mercer are going to win games, and they're going to beat up a little bit on each other, if not knock off some of the – again, I'll say the upper echelon is not the upper echelon that SoCon is used to. Unless Furman right now is the one team – Unless ETSU, Furman, Wofford goes on a ridiculous run the rest of the year, which I don't, you know, being a Buck Blue Bug, I don't see that happening yet. So that being said, you know, those teams are going to be able to knock off a few of those teams. The upper echelon isn't quite as upper as it's been. It's still good. I'd still put Furman. I mean, the the net rankings still say that the upper echelon is still up there. Furman at 50, Wofford 84, Mercer right outside 100 at 105. So the net rankings telling you Mercer 
is quite good. UNCG's at 122. Chattanooga and ETSU, 151-152, respectively. So, I mean, you're still looking at the upper half, but look at the lower half. There is no team in the 300s. The worst team in the SoCon right now is 214 at Sanford. It's been a long time since we haven't had two or three teams in the 300s in the net ranking RPI or anything else. When two, when the range from 50 to 214 for a 10-team league and only one's in the 200s, that means the bottom of the league is very good. It's gotten way better. So the league is going to give them more losses because of the league is better. All right, you say first are down, I say they're up. The net says they're up, so I'm right. Caleb Hunter has been back a couple of weeks for UNCG. He missed a couple of games around Christmas. The only double-digit scorer on UNCG, aside from Isaiah Miller last year, going into Monday, he had only one double-figure game since coming back after that two- or three-week absence. He did have 13 points yesterday against Citadel. How important is he, just for a frame of reference, they've won three straight, but they're against Sanford and Citadel. Now, any win in the Southern Conference, as you just mentioned, with the net rankings, with the parity, is a good victory. So to have three in a row, be back where I think a lot of people thought they would be. It was a one-and-two start in the league. Now they're four-and-two. I think that it's a little bit more comforting for UNCG. I think it's a little more expected for those around the conference. But Caleb Hunter is going to have to be one of those keys. So there is a second score. Isaiah Miller had 30 yesterday against Citadel, but he can only do that so many times before they need some help. Well, let me say this, too. They're the one team in the league I want to give a lot of credit to because twice they've had games canceled, not their fault, and twice they said, fine, who do we play? And so they end up playing, I guess it was Wofford, and then ETSU canceled the Wofford game. So they go back-to-back against Wofford. And then they play two road games. So they say, we don't even care if you come back to us. We'll play both on the road there. So I love Wes Miller and what he has said and been like, you know what? I'm cutting out I love Wes Miller and putting that out of the butt bar, by the way. Wes, that's you. Oh, I can't You're wait. so out of context. This is so good. So <laughs> you're right down the time. Look at yeah, this. I am. So the one thing about Wes, though, I, I think is great is like, because you don't know, is his team going to be shut down? Is it going to come down to other teams? Like, can I get as many games in? Because the league rules, it looks like to me, are stating if you can get to be eligible for the AQ, you got to get 10 league games in. That's what it's looking like right now, unless the rest of the league shuts down. And you got to have 13 games played, so many in the league to be NCAA. If there's no tournament, who's the top of the league? Well, games played is going to matter. So if ETSU only got 10 games in, and let's say they're 8-2, and two, and let's say UNCG ends up at like 13 and 3. That 13 and 3 is going to be better than the 8 and 2. And so that's how stacked. So UNCG, I think, is being smart because, one, they're willing to play anybody, whatever. Now, does it help probably that, you know, they just played Wofford and both teams didn't have to worry about scout? Is it better because, of, okay, we'll play back to back road games, but at least it's the same team. We have to do it probably, but still, I think you got to give them credit. What I'm interested to see is what happens the next two games because they're going to play no game Wednesday. They're Saturday at Chat, and then Monday at Furman. And I think this will tell us what UNCG is. I think with Caleb Hunter, though, their stock is up. I think their stock is up as well. One three straight with Caleb Hunter. And like you said, really, this is the interesting thing. I looked around the Southern Conference on the men's side at almost all the schedules, and you can point out a couple of games in the next three or four for almost every team where it looks like a big game because we just don't know what's going on. I would probably say seven teams in the league – if you look at the standings top to bottom, I'd say that's a dangerous team. Furman, Wofford, ETSU, UNCG, obviously. Chattanooga, maybe not so much right now. Sanford, I'm still not sold on, even though they just beat Western Carolina. But Mercer, Western Carolina, and BMI. Citadel, uh, you know, momentum waning. 
Sanford and Chattanooga. So I'm really not just sold on Chattanooga, Sanford, and Citadel at the moment, but those other seven teams, I still have to feel like you bring your best on a game day against them or you might get clipped. We talked about Cameron Gibson being back, albeit on a minutes limit early, seven minutes against Western, made a couple of shots, 22 minutes versus Sanford. We already kind of went over our positions on them, both of us. Even though they're still winless in the league, I think trending upward in terms of what they've got ahead and the results. We, we try not to be the people that just snap reaction, right? We don't want to be the people that you lose a game here, you lost to Sanford Monday, Western Carolina, and so the season is spiraling out of control. You haven't won three games into the league season, but it's a weird year, so you can't really look at that and say, all right, well, you're going to finish at the bottom of the conference. There's just no way that you can accurately look at a conference and standings where they are and where they're going to be if you think that way. So you and me both think that they're up a little bit. Miles Lewis missed that third straight uh, game yesterday against ETSU. He's day-to-day. Connor Arnold and Lewis Tang also day-to-day. When VMI gets those three back, I know you talked about VMI going maybe six, seven deep and just having a guy or two off the bench. But Dan Earl, when I talked to him yesterday, he really pointed out that depth has been an issue without those guys. Tang has played I think only three games this year. Arnold has missed almost a month. Lewis now missing three straight. So it sounds and like all three of those guys have played a lot of basketball for Dan Earl. And too. it sounds like Dan Earl is going to want to mix them in more. So exactly what happened yesterday against ETSU doesn't happen repeatedly throughout conference play. Yeah, Arnold's an interesting player. I think he certainly adds to it. Louis Tang, he's a guy that can come out and, and hit some shots for you. But he's, both those guys play pretty good defense, and so maybe some of their defensive woes. Plus, Miles Lewis can play defense and rebound. So I, some of their defense could be because three guys that they can intermingle with some of the scores uh, could play. But it did look like fatigue for sure. And maybe coming off the Saturday run and gun fest with Citadel or something. And then, and then ride, you know, ride the bus three and a half hours down to John City. I, I don't know. But, yes, I, I would say that would help. I still think VMI's dangerous. You know, uh, I don't know that there's a gimme in the league this year. And, again, I'm going back to my point that the the bottom half of the league or bottom two or three that's been the bottom are way up. And so I think it makes the league more interesting this year. And it may make the league not look as good because the couple teams won't be able to rattle off six wins that you could just bank at any moment. I think the top teams can beat those teams. But it's a dogfight, and if you sit here right now and said, you know what, Citadel's going to knock off Furman, Wofford, ETSU, or UNCG, or maybe two of them, I, I don't know that I could argue with you. I don't know I could argue with you if you said that about Sanford or Western. I mean, you make a good point, because what did I just say about my teams that I thought were down? Chattanooga, Sanford, and Citadel, they've got five combined wins. Two and four, two and four, one and four. Or one and three, I think Sanford is. I think that the standings are a little janky right now. But two and four, two and four, one and three. So... There's going to be those victories. Even if a team is quote-unquote down or a team is quote-unquote up, there's going to be games that are lost by everybody. I still think 12 or 13 wins once in the No, I said that from jump. I think five or six losses is good enough to win the league. I still think that unless, again, there's only a couple teams that I think would have to go on a massive run, and it's the usual suspects, Furman, Wofford, ETSU, UNCG. If, if they can't go on a massive run that would just – everything's clicking, they start going – you know, it'd be interesting. Uh, Furman's played, you know, two home, two roads. That's a good thing. You look at Wofford, they've, they've got four wins on the road in league play so far. UNCG has four wins. on. They've got two losses at, at home. They've lost ETSU and Wofford at home, which is a little bit of head scratchers. But away from there, you know, they're, they're very good. Defense travels. The rest of that, you look, though, 
VMI 0 and 2, Chat 0 and 2, Sanford 0 and 2. You're going to hear a theme here. Mercer 0 and 2, Citadel 0 and 2, Western 0 and 3. So other than the top five teams right now in the standings, that includes VMI, who's got two road wins, and ETSU's 2 and 0. I mean, it is interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, it's home. Looking at the uh, let me check that. Yeah, yeah. The bottom six teams have not won a road game. Two, four, oh, six, 13, eight, five. ten. Yeah, there you go. Thirteen. And then you look at the top four teams, right? And they are eleven and one. So usual suspects are still there. It's just more dangerous when those teams this year than not. So you're telling me that your theory about playing on the road being a lot easier this year is completely shot, at least for those six teams. So far. Okay. <laughs> so far. Uh, I don't have a lot on Wofford just because they're kind of ho-hum. Obviously, uh, the amazing finish last Wednesday, Storm Murphy 3 to beat VMI. The, and which was incredible. Otherwise, VMI would have had that one. Correct. Uh, that's one of the themes here, right? Games that are close that have gone the way maybe of the favorite, but you look around the league and standings could be completely jostled. Look, there's two points here, two points there if you don't have a buzzer beater like Storm Murphy did. And then going on the road, uh, Wofford, you mentioned that they've won four road games in league play. Just a complete bludgeoning of Chattanooga. Held them to 24 second-half points and won 77 to 59-23 from Storm Murphy. Morgan Safford has 19. Trey Hollowell has 10. It seems like there's every other game now for Wofford. You're having a different guy step up. Ryan Larson didn't have a good game, but he's had some good ones. Uh, since he's returned, Sam Godwin is somebody that can do a few things for the Terriers, too. And then Klesmet off the bench, I, I think he's going to be in the freshman of the year conversation with a Damari Monsanto and A.J. Statton, McCray. Um, so there's some solid guys around and a Trey Bottom. Like is Jones up. back? I don't even think Jones is Messiah. Jones, Jones hasn't played, right? Still, no, yeah. and, and they still are gonna, yeah. you know, going out the road getting those victories. So I think that Klesmet's going to be solid in that rookie of the year conversation. So there's a lot to like about Wofford right now, but it's very – Pedestrian, I guess you'd say. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just quietly taking care of business game after game. But they're very businesslike, and it's the one team that knows exactly what they're you – know, they accept roles, right? There's a lot of teams that maybe they don't accept roles or there's one guy that doesn't accept. But Wofford football, Wofford basketball it seems to be the thing. Like, you, you know what your role is, what you're going to do. They seem to accept – not everybody's going to get shots. I think Mike Young used to give it – he's open about that. He would say, look, guys, here's the deal. This guy's getting 15, 20 shots. You're getting this shot. You're getting this shots. I need you to get rebounds and get steals. Make the most of them. That's your role. And if you didn't agree with Mike Young, you didn't play, and they bought in because they won a lot of games together. And they're getting just great all-around play. I mean, you look at – Three guys with 30 or more assists on the season. Four guys with 10 or more steals. You know, they're not particularly great on the boards, but in the same token, they're plus like six. I mean, they have nobody averaging more than like six rebounds. And that was beside Jones. He ain't even playing. So it's just unbelievable exactly everything that they do right. They really score the ball. Storm Murphy is playing at a ridiculous clip for a guy that shoots a lot of jump shots. He's 50% from the floor. Is he your Southern Conference player of the year right now? Man, it would be tough. I, I mean, it would be tough not to take him. I mean, you're looking at he's averaging 19 points a game. He's got 57 assists, 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. He's averaging 3.5 rebounds. He's shooting 50% from the floor, 42 from three, 88 from the free throw line. I, I, I don't know. 
be, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to deep dive maybe one or two more. I mean, there's always, you know, in the Southern Conference, they, they, they really, really, really love points. And, and maybe not the all-around game. So, you know, if he falls to like fifth or sixth, you know, do, you, do, you, do they go off? I doubt they'll go off the reservation and go Hayden Brown, who's leading the league and, uh, you know, uh, I think rebounding. Uh, if he's not scoring, he's pretty yes. close. Yeah. So, you know, you look at that. You look at the all-around game that Isaiah Miller usually has, but he's shooting the ball more, which is going to average his average, but all the other numbers go down. You know, it, it, right now I would say if you had, if I had to vote for one right now, I would vote for Storm Murphy. Yeah, I think you have to write off the guys that are probably going to be in the bottom half of the conference. So Hayden Brown, Caden Rice, Greg Parham, you know, love each of them as players, but Citadel, all league players, maybe, but Citadel yes. Citadel and BMI are going to be in the bottom half of the conference, and, and those guys are one, two, and four in the league in scoring right now. And then there's Miller at five. You can never discount him because I, I do think that league awards have a better chance of going to someone that wins the preseason player of the year, personally, and especially someone like Isaiah Miller, who has consistently won awards in this league. Mike Bothwell definitely has a chance, but then there's Clay Mount. So do you kind of split the difference and split the votes there where you get half and half? And, Faulkner right now, you know, you just have to win more if you're Western Carolina. And then there's Ladarius Brewer. And I think that there's something to be said for Ladarius simply right. because ETSU is standings matter. what you thought they would be. No matter what they say, for the most part, stand, standings matter. And maybe not for the all-conference stuff, but for player of the year, you know, if, if to me, if Wofford wins the championship, I think there's no doubt it's going to be Storm Murphy. If Herman wins championship, it wouldn't shock me, Bothwell or Mounts. ETSU wins the championship. Obviously, if UNCG, I think whoever wins the championship is going to have a better shot at claiming the player of the year, and it will probably go hand-in-hand hand, and will also probably go hand-in-hand hand with the coach of the year unless somebody like, let's say, VMI or Chat or Sanford or Mercer magically finish like second in the league, like they go on some stupid run. Then I think whoever wins the league will also win coach of the year, player of the year. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Oh, Tom Brady's back in the championship. Yeah. Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Torn for Chatting. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now one and seven. Michigan. This is a lifeless organization. They got a new D.C. Championship. Wake Forest basketball's got its man. It's new coach Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State, and this move makes sense. On well, every time I see Williamson hit a shot for him, it makes sense. Conference canceled fall sports on Thursday. February twentieth. Write it down. Teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. Shut up. Done. Shut up. Done. done. One month from tomorrow. Eat that. Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He wasn't. He went and got two stumps for a brownie. Delicious. Honey mustard. Just disgusting. Honey mustard. Honey, honey. Honey mustard. Bold predictions. Jay Wheat, no honey mustard. The Newman from Seinfeld where he has to eat a thing of broccoli and then quack honey mustard just takes a shot of it right at the register. Great show. If I could bathe in honey mustard, if it's socially acceptable, I probably would. I, I don't want to picture that now. I would maybe want to picture it a bit more after the 10,000 crunches, but certainly now I just don't. I don't yeah, I've got to pick that up. What's today's date? I'm, I'm at 600. Ooh, yeah, I'm behind the pace. All right, got to pick it up. I'm going to do, do 100 tonight. So much like pretty much everyone's new. 100 tonight. Here we go. 100 tonight. lasted about two weeks. Well, 100 tonight. Uh, ETSU men's basketball, five double-digit scores on Saturday. Oh, 
Six seeds, one in the uh, yeah, conference. Seeds, I don't correct. remember my pins whatsoever. I don't know if I want that or not. was forgettable. I don't know. You might want to go back and rewind. We may have to listen to it. You don't remember it. No. I'm not no, 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 no. It's on the tape. It's on the tape. It's on the tape. It doesn't matter. It's on the tape. So I got three and you got three. So now we're tied. I should have like five or six, though. This is but, but I have a better winning percentage because one of mine was canceled. So I have one less <laughs> loss. So winning percentage, I am winning. You do have the tiebreak. I am winning. There you go. All right, Friday, what we're going to do, we're going to recap Western Carolina men's basketball. We'll set up both women's games versus UNCG. We'll certainly talk ETSU men's basketball, the very quick turnaround versus Furman. So we'll talk about that and more on Friday. Also, I guess we'll have some bowl predictions, which will be terrible again. Santa Sockett, Buccaneer. Sports Network. Cowboy up and go play ball.